Porch community. It's good to see you. I'm glad that you are here. Did anyone else, like you got here this morning, you're like, I, am I running late? Am I going, because like I got here at like nine. I was like, why are all these people here? What happened? And uh, it's because they're all on the ski trip. So there's a whole bunch of cars gone. So, um, But I'm glad that you're here and you're part of today. You're part of today's worship experience. We're in this series we've been doing on Romans chapter eight. And so today we're, we're this is our fifth week, but we're going to be totally zeroing in on One whole verse. So Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Now, before we jump into that, I want to say a couple things. One, uh, special thanks to our friend Austin Crockett for leading worship today while Justin's gone. He's a wonderful, wonderful worship leader, and uh, he's been a friend of the porch for many, many years. Um, And we have a new ministry partner. Uh, I want you all to see here. This is, you always love the upside down C-section pictures that moms get to be in, Um, but that is Monty Lawrence Albrecht. He is the son of Bradley and Jessica, and uh, he's got a big sister named Maggie, and um, he really is happy, I promise, so, Um, but yes, he arrived on Friday, and uh, whoo, Jessica's real happy to have that baby. If you listened to last week's message, talked about suffering and been staying out of arm's length of a, of a pregnant lady when you're like, oh, it's just for a time period. I was thinking of Jessica when I said those words because it's been tough. So I know she's real happy and the family's good and happy. And, and uh, Uncle Chris Pender, our bass player, is excited that uh, he's got another nephew in the world. So um, listen, so let's, let's look at uh, verse 28. Before we do, I want to pray for us. God, your word is good, and it's true, it's powerful, and I pray that it speaks to us this morning. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Uh, verse 28, um, if I say Romans 8, 28, for a lot of us, we're like, oh, I know that verse. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's really like one of the verses. Um, it's, it's very well known. It's brought comfort to people for centuries since Paul wrote it. It's brought comfort. Now, on the flip side, unfortunately, um, this verse has actually also brought some confusion and heartache to people um, through the years because it was maybe it was offered out of context. Um, side, side moment here, just to talk about this for a second. Context is absolutely crucial. Uh, when we're reading God's word. And as followers of Jesus and people who, you know, we say, hey, we want to live out our faith, right? We want to live out our faith in our community. Hear this, context is crucial when you are sharing God's word. When you're sharing God's word with people who are going through difficulties or those things that Casey was praying about, right? When we're sharing stuff, when people, when, when life's not perfect or great or in line or doesn't make sense and there's confusion, sometimes when we share, let's make sure we share the truth and the hope of God's word in context because this is one of those verses that can be shared out of context, it can be parsed a little bit and you kind of throw off some parts of this verse and just kind of offer a portion of it. Because out of context, what scripture has done through the centuries, I mean, it has, it has, um, it's been used, God's word has been used to most definitely mislead people. I mean, you can look at all sorts of cults and stuff like that, but it's been used to, to justify genocide, uh, to enslavement, um, uh, to, to, you know, just like take people and, and oppress them, um, and, and so subjugate people. So we've got to be careful about the context of of, how, of the scriptures and how we share it and when we share it and, and the way in which it's done. It's been used in oftentimes like a, like a weapon 
to hurt instead of shared in a way that's just to bring hope and healing and promise and life in, in the context of, of community of faith. So all that to say, Romans 8, 28, let's look at it in context and in its fullness. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, so I just, I want to start, can I start with this? I want to start with this. Not all things are good. Okay? This whole context thing I was just talking about. Not all things are good. To say all things are good is a fallacy. It's not, it's not true. It's wrong, for example, to say that the death of a child is good. It's not. Uh, it's, it's wrong to say can, cancer is not good. Right? It's not, suicide is not good. It, not all things are good. Abuse is not good. None of these things are good. And this verse is not saying that everything that happens, we must look at and go, oh, that's good. That's not what this verse is saying. And yet, unfortunately, that's kind of how this verse sometimes is presented. We don't have to view everything as good, not, not at all. There are many, many things actually, in, in fact, that Scripture defines as uh, evil, an abomination, a stench to the nostrils of God. Okay, so not all things are good. Now, to be clear, in the creation... God looked out on everything he created, and he declared it to be good. Okay, that's where we get a little confused. He declared it to be good, but then the people who were made in his likeness of their own free will chose to sin, and then everything started to unravel, okay? That's where that happened. So we're not, we're not expected to, nor should we, pretend or fake or put on a fake smile and be like, everything's good, everything's good, when clearly it's not. This verse says nothing, nothing about all things being good. Sometimes it's presented that way by some mel, 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 mel weaning, no, that's not, well-meaning Christians. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> oh, goodness. God is always good. God is always Good, even though circumstances are not always good. God is always good. We need some clarity in this and understand the distinctions. So not all things are good. We need to make that clear. But we can know some things. We can know, we can take comfort in several truths from this passage. And first it's this. We can look at Romans 8.28 and we can have certainty. We can have certainty about this because what is the first thing that Paul is saying? He says, and we know, and we know. Now, he's referring back to verse 26 when it's like, we don't always know what to pray for, but we know this. We don't always know how to pray, but the Holy Spirit you know, intercedes for us. We don't know how to pray, but, but we know this. We know there's a definiteness in Paul's language. It's not an I think and I hope and I maybe. He says, and we know. Um, Know is best translated from the original Greek as uh, to know with absolute knowledge. Absolute knowledge. There's only one absolute knowledge. That knowledge is of, of the Lord. We know with absolute 
knowledge. 32 times in Paul's writings, all of his writings in the epistles, um, he, ta- he says, and we know, he uses that definite word. Five times here in, in this letter to the church in Rome, he says, and we know with absolute knowledge. So hear, hear this. Never abandon what you know, what you do know, just because of something that you might not know. Don't abandon what you do know just because there are times, there are seasons, there are moments, there are circumstances, there are occasions when you don't know. Hang on to what you do know. There are certain things that you just are not going to know. We are not going to know. We are not going to understand. We are not going to be able to figure out that we can't see why. We don't understand why. But there are things that we can know with definiteness, as Paul does. But during these times of not knowing, hold on to the things that are absolute. Right? And this is, I'm not, this is not just specific to like you and me, like James, right? The brother of Jesus, in his letter to the church, he's like, listen, we don't, we don't know the things that are going to happen tomorrow. We don't know. We don't know. So it's not just like a right now we don't know. I mean, right in, in, the, in the writings of the scriptures, in the Old Testament, um, Isaac, he was like, I, I don't know the day of my death. I don't know. I, ha- I don't have that understanding. Jesus said, you don't know the day or the hour of when the Lord's going to return. You don't know. So there are things that the scriptures tell us we are not going to know ever. Romans 8.28 is not one of those verses. It says with certainty that in all things we know this, that God works. God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And somebody needs to hear that, hear that hope and that promise today. Just because you don't know, God knows. Just because you're not sure about how it's going to play out, God knows. But you can have certainty in God knows. And you can have certainty that God is with you in this. Let that certainty of God, let your limited knowledge and understanding and faith that you have in him, let it be the exclamation mark to your question marks. So we can have certainty. Verse 28 gives us certainty, and we know absolute knowledge. It also shows us the totality of who God is and what he knows. The totality of it all. This is what Paul writes. He says, and we know that in all things God works. We know that in all things God works. This is a statement. This is a declaration that brings assurance and confidence we know in all things. This is what John Wesley says about all things in Romans in verse 28. He says that, talking about what is all things, uh, Wesley says, ease or pain, all things. Poverty or riches. And then I love how he describes this. And the 10,000 changes of life. Doesn't, <laughs> he's on it right there. Doesn't that feel like some of our, like this past week, 10,000 changes of life? That's a a good description of it. It describes this for a lot of us. All things, there's a totality. He is God, we know that in all things, God works. Not all things are good. Pain, poverty, 10,000 changes of life. 
But we know that in all things, God works. You see the distinction? God's not, he's not restricted from working through and in anything. There's no restriction on him. God can work in all things. Now, some, I've said this already, but I want to, I want to, Touch on it again, because some can take this verse and teach that, okay, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you said yes to him, then you will always, you, you, will, you will never have, you will always have health. You will, you will always be prosperous, right? You'll, you'll never have a disease that will take you out. Like, no, that's not, that's not true. We are finite people. And if that were true, honestly, then what you would have is a lot of people coming to Jesus for all the wrong reasons. Like you've heard about fire insurance, you know, you don't want to go to hell. This would be like life insurance. Like all things, all things. And we know that in all things, and all things includes things like what we talked about last week. So it's not all perfect. It are it is things like suffering. It is. It's like it's that groaning as if in childbirth. Sometimes that happens in, in this life. Still talking about the totality. Look at another word in this verse. And we know that in all things God works. We know that in all things God works for the good. We know this. Works, it's, what is it? It's an active voice right there, right? It's present tense. So it speaks of an ongoing, right now, God working. Not just when Paul wrote it, but an ongoing, right now, God is working. This verse, so if you look at how we've kind of, you know, stretched it out here a little bit, we could translate it to something like, we know with absolute certainty that God, on an ongoing basis, is causing everything to be working for good. Several translations, probably maybe some of yours, it says it works together. God works together. And in the Greek, it's this, it's this word, synergeo, synergeo. You see how it's spelled? It might be up there. I mean, it's where we get our word synergy, synergism, right? That, that interaction, that cooperation between two or more things, right? It's going to produce something that's greater than what one thing could produce on its own. It's God working. God is a God in three persons. He works together. I, I did this whole like side like trail of what does it mean by together? Was it talking about God in three persons? Was it about God and, and working with the people, you know, his people, his children, uh, his creation? And, and my answer was that I received was yes, <laughs> It's all these things. God works. He works through everything. Again, he's not restricted in any way. But this sooner geo this, of God, is, it's bringing about what? A certain total and an eternal response. Now, whether we see that in the temporary is, is really the, the struggle. That's where we are. We're temporary. We, we live on a timeline. God does not. He's above whatever linear path that you and I are on. He's above it, below it, beneath it, around it, all the prepositions you can think of. Synergeo. He's working. 
Last week I mentioned that we need to have perspective. We've got to have, we've, we've got to make sure that when we read this verse, when we walk through Romans, when we think about our life, and we do think about sufferings, and we do struggle with that, and we try to understand that, that we have, that, that there needs to be a, a switch that's flipped in our mind where we go, oh no, I'm thinking as a, as a finite, temporary situation here, and this is an eternal thing. This is an eternal action that's going on. We need to have this perspective. We need to have this. This is what Romans 28, 28 shows us so far, is that there's, we can have a certainty that there is a totality to how God is working, and then there is this eternality, and yes, that is a word. It's not a word we use a lot, and the reason I think is because we don't think that way. We don't, we don't think eternally. But there is an eternality to all this. Here's the definition of that word. It's the quality or state of having no end. A ceaselessness. An endlessness. An eternalness. Everlastingness. Perpetuity. World without end. See, we don't, we don't think that way, do we? Verse 28 tells us that we know that in all things, we know that in all things, God works for the good. For the good. Think about for the good in regard to eternality. The good that Paul writes about, and this is where we get all jacked up. This is where this passage gets, can be misused and, and misdelivered. It's where we might find confusion sometimes. But the good that Paul is writing here about is it's an eternal good. It's an eternal good. God works for the eternal good. We might see it in the temporary. We might see it in the momentary. It will show up every now and then, and we call those things miracles while we're on this earth. We call those things, I have no idea because the doctor said this, but this was the result. And we go, what? Like there are times we see God's eternal good showing up in our temporary linear lives. But in everything, he's working it for his eternal good. Does he cause it? No, he works through it. See, Remember, we all started unraveling there at the beginning when free will and everything got set off course from perfection. eternal good. You see, no doubt, things that we do not call good are still going to occur temporarily. They do. They do. We don't call them, they're not good and they occur. Bad things will happen to good people. And that's a whole other side thing is, are there really good people? Uh, you sin, you know. Sometimes good things will happen to bad people. All that's temporary. Think about the eternality of this. Jesus said in, in the Sermon on the Mount, he was talking about, you know, there's the righteous and the unrighteous, that, that there are things that are going to happen in the temporary while we're on this earth, and it's going to happen to all of us. Uh, in, in chapter 5, verse 45 of Matthew, it says he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. But no, the sun shouldn't rise on the evil. It's, it's temporary. 
and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Well, they don't, the, uh, the unrighteous don't deserve the rain on their crops for things to grow. It's temporary. There's an eternality to what Paul is writing about, about the good that God is working out. Job, Job suffered unimaginable tragedy. And he said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. There's talking so you know we have a temporary or an eternal viewpoint, a perspective. I want to give you an example of this. Um, you think about these two different mindsets. Interestingly, one is from the Old Testament, one's in the New Testament. You know, living in that New Covenant. Under the Old Covenant, we have Jacob, Israel. We have Jacob, and and Jacob, and and in the New Testament, Paul. They have very they have similar circumstances situation, circumstances, in that life just isn't good. They get a lot of bad stuff put upon them, right? And, and what we find is that Jacob, you know, his son's sold in slavery. All this stuff happens. He's, he thought his son's dead, years of grief, all this. There's a famine, starvation, all this. And this is what he says. And, well, before I tell you what he says, Paul, we talked about this last week, he, he went through just so much as a believer, five and a half years locked up, shipwrecked, starved, beaten, all these things. To perspective, Jacob, when bad things happen to him, this is what he says in Genesis chapter 42. He says, all things are against me. I'll let that settle on you for a minute. Because I wonder how many of us, that's our perspective. Everything's against me. Like some mornings you wake up and you get through part of your day and you really stop and ponder and go, did the world have a secret meeting while I was still asleep and decide to mess with me today? Because that's just what it feels like. You know what I'm talking about? Like the kind of stuff where, I don't know if you do this, but like, like you bash your shoulder into the door frame, the door frame that's been there forever, the world is against me, right? And I, that, like we have that perspective sometimes. Jacob, like for real issues, is like everything is against me. Two different perspectives. Paul, Paul, what does he say? And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Two different perspectives. What, what's your perspective? Are you like, I'm, I'm kind of team Jacob on this one. Mm -hmm. Just seeing if you were paying attention. Everything is against me. That mentality, everything's out to get me. Things aren't turning out right. Or is your perspective more like Paul's? All things will work together. I'm temporary. This is temporary. God is eternal. I want to have his perspective in this. Lord, this is really bad right now, but I, I'm going to have trust and faith in you that you are going to work good from this. perspective based on eternity. Romans 8.28 must be interpreted from the eternal perspective, not the 
temporal perspective, right? Storms rage. They do. Storms rage. The earth quakes as of an hour ago. 33,000 souls have perished in Syria and Turkey from the earthquake this past week. 33,000 souls. We know that sometimes God calms the storm for us, and we do call that a miracle. We see it in Scripture. But usually what he does is he calms us in those storms, right? Usually he brings peace to us as the storm rages around us. He brings his eternal peace to us while we find ourselves in a temporary storm. My prayer, based on my understanding of who God is, is that God brought his supernatural peace to those among the 33,000 who loved him. Because that's the promise of Romans 8.28. That God works for the good of those who love him. That he brought peace to those who loved him as the earth quaked beneath them. Which brings us to a, a, a pivotal aspect of this promise in verse 28. Right? To those who love him. Because the promise here is given with a conditionality. It is. There is a condition. There is a condition. And here's the, condi the condition. The certainty, the totality, the eternality addressed in Romans 8.28 is promised to those who love God. And we know, we know that in all things... God is working for the good, the eternal good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. See, the temptation might be to take verse 28 out of context and quote only the part of the verse that, oh, we know that in all things God works for good. That's not all that it says. This certain, total, eternal promise is given to a specific person. To those who love God. To those who love God. It's for those who say, yes, I will follow. Yes, Jesus, yes. God is working for those who love him. As the band comes back out and we spend a little time in worship, I, I want to ask you a question. It's a, it's a pretty simple question, but if I had asked you this at the beginning of the message, I don't know if we would have taken it in. We, we would take it in as to such a depth as I think we should. Because see, Romans 8.28 tells us that we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. And so my question for you, porch community, is do you love him? Do you love him? 
See, he, he always knows what will happen. He is always working on the behalf of those who love him. He is for us. He is not against us. He is not against us, as, as Jacob cried out, that everything is against us. The real question that you need to answer is, are you okay that you don't know? There's so much that we don't know. There's so much that we do not know. We don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know when, when Christ will return. We don't know the day of our death. We don't know. Are you okay with that? Because he does. And this is where God wants to meet each and every one of us right now. Are you okay with him being Lord? Let's pray together. Lord, my prayer for, for all of us this morning is actually for us to say, I don't get it. I don't understand it. Instead of us going, oh God, I need to know. I need to understand. I need to, I need, I need. Give me detail. Show me, show me, show me. Maybe better for us to say, God, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't know why. I don't know when, but I know you, God. And I know that all things work together for good for those who love you. And Lord, I love you and I trust you and I surrender to the certainty and the totality, and the eternality, and yes, even the conditionality of a relationship with you, and I say, yes, Jesus. I confess, I repent, I give my life to you, I lay it before you, and I trust you. In the name of Jesus.